Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. You're with Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, locked and loaded, TNT, today's News Talk. It is Monday, the 22nd of January, 2024. And, of course, we're very happy that you've taken time out of your day. There's other things you could be doing right now, you lovely listener. Uh, You could be out watering the plants. You could be out weeding. You could be out committing a crime for all I know, but instead you've been diverted somehow and you're listening to us here this morning. And we're extremely happy to have you along for the ride. Plenty more to squeeze in over the next uh, 55 minutes here to the top of the hour before James Freeman takes on the baton. Uh, I have Gemma Cooper joining me in a minute or two to chew the fat. And then I have uh, a guest who'd be joining me for the first time Unlocked and Loaded, Kit Clarenberg. He is a writer and an investigative journalist. We're going to be talking about the developing uh, stories that are happening in and around Iran and Iraq at this time. And then uh, at around about 22, I have Dominic Ryder coming on to talk to me. Also, for the first time, plenty of new blood coming through, coursing through TNT's veins at the moment. Uh, Dominic is a founder of the Other Party UK. Uh, it's a it's an alternative political type party. And I know politics, a lot of people shrivel up like a slug that has salt dropped on its back at the very mention of the word politics. But listen, you know, I'm not a big fan of it either. But listen, it's not going away. It's not going away. We can tell people not to vote. We can tell people to spoil their ballots. We can tell people to do A, B, C, and D. But the fact of the matter is there's still going to be elections. Uh, you know, people. Oh, it's a foregone conclusion. People are elected. They're not selected or they're selected. They're not elected. I don't know, people. I'm just giving you what the alternatives are out there. And there are people proposing alternatives. And when there's people proposing alternatives, at the very least we can do is give them some airtime and hear what they have to say. And then we can draw our conclusions after that. So Dominic will be joining me at around 22. Uh, Storms. Stormy, stormy, stormy. People have been talking about how the UK has been battered by storms. I'm looking at the Sky News. Uh, Molly Malone reporting for Sky News yesterday said this storm is different. This storm is different. She reports from Brighton, where there are danger to life signs displayed in the beach, warning people not to go near the sea. This storm is different. No, this storm is not different. It's wintertime. The winds get high. When the winds get high, the waves get high. When the waves get high, you don't go swimming. When the waves get high, the boats go up and down. People get seasick. The water comes up over the seawalls. People could get washed out to sea. Use some common sense. Stay the hell away from the water if you can avoid it. And you should be just fine. Storms are not new. There's some old fishermen's cottages near me. Apparently, they're 300 years old. They're built at right angles to the sea because they've been battered by storms for the last 250 to 300 years. And guess what? They're still standing. And let me give you an account of the storms in my area last night. It was devastating, absolute devastation. A bin blew over. My next door neighbour left out his recyclable bin last night and it blew over and there was some newspapers and fish and chip wrappers blowing around the street. Absolute carnage. I can't even begin to tell you. On my own personal experience, I was sweeping out the garage yesterday. I opened the garage door and as I tried to brush the dust out, a gust of wind came and blew it back in my face. Can you imagine the danger, the, the threat that my life was off the scale? I won't be repeating that again. Listen, 
it's winter time. Don't buy into the fear porn and the panic that Sky News and people up there are peddling out to people. It's absolute bunkum. Anyway, this storm is different. Yeah, and you know what? I'm looking out at the, the, the after effects of this storm. It's a beautiful blue sky. I don't see any chemtrails. I don't see any clouds. There's no wind at all anymore. It's just settled down again. And listen, here's a little life lesson for you people out there. It doesn't matter how bad the storm is. It doesn't last forever. Those can be real storms, as in weather, or those can be emotional storms, or physical storms, or mental storms, or spiritual storms. Yes, you can have a force nine gale blowing through your head sometimes, but it isn't going to last forever. It too shall pass. So just button down the hatches, brace yourselves like I always tell you folk to do and get ready for the wonderful Gemma Cooper who is incoming here right now on TNT, today's news talk. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's news talk radio, TNT. Ah, storms, storms, storms. Gemma, it's January, you know, is it not to be expected? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I can put my former hat on as a weather presenter. I wasn't a forecaster, but I presented the weather for years and mm -hmm. years and years on television and on radio. And uh, it's perfectly normal weather. And you just alluded to it. You've looked out the window and it's a beautiful blue sky day. Mm -hmm. Same here on the west coast of England, on the Bristol Channel. Uh, like you, I heard a bit of wind last night. Nothing spectacular. I've covered many, many of these types of events during my career. And what I, have, what I did see when I was in the mainstream, fully in the matrix, was an escalation of the type of coverage that they wanted us to do with regard to the weather. At one point, you know, even when I was still very firmly asleep, I raised a quizzical eyebrow because we'd been forecasting this amazing storm and it was definitely going to come and there's going to be this storm and uh, batten down the hatches, just like what we've just seen, you know, danger, danger, danger. When it actually turned up the next morning, I was on an early shift. It wasn't too bad. There wasn't much damage. It, it passed through quite easily. There was no loss of life. Um, and, and so, I, I, you know, you can only reflect what Mother Nature has done. So I was presenting the news in that way, didn't really refer to the storm at all. And I got a call from one of my many managers saying, well, you're not talking about the storm. I said, well, nothing really happened. He said, yes, but, but, but we need to reflect it in some way. I said, but nothing really happened. He said, listen, I'm being leaned on. Just put, just put something up. We must have something. So we did have a little video that a viewer had sent in um, of a bush on, on the coast, not far from where I am now, slightly swaying in the breeze. And I had to run that and I had to say the storm, the storm. And it was a bush blowing in the wind. And I thought then, why are we, why are we putting the fear of God in people for things that don't even happen? Well, maybe it was a test run for what was to come. You know what I mean? So there mm -hmm. we go. That's just a little anecdote there to add to the ever-increasing weather stories where we're supposed to be afraid, be very afraid. It's ridiculous. It is. There was a, just before we get into the story too, there was a little snippet that I saw from somebody banging on at Davos last week about how they estimate 1.6 billion people will be killed off by the weather over the next five years. There's absolutely no way to quantify that in any way, shape or form whatsoever. They can pick numbers from thin air. They can make them fit whatever narrative they want. And unfortunately, unless we challenge it, which we're doing right now, we have been doing certainly since the inception of TNT, uh, most people will just nod along and say, oh, that's terrible. I need to be afraid. I need to take action. No, a lot of this is just um, fear porn and it's being pushed relentlessly. This is a storm like no other. No, it's not. It's wind and it's rain and it's, uh, you know, choppy seas. It's happened before. 
it's going to happen again. Unfortunately, that also applies to corruption, Gemma, which leads us into uh, the story uh, that you have for us here today to do with Greater Manchester Police Failures. Uh, what's this one all about? Well, you're quite right. You know, it's going to happen again and it is happening again. So last week, of course, we had the Rochdale report out here in the UK, which was about uh, the, the the whole inquiry almost into Asian paedophile grooming gangs and the rape of children in Rochdale in the north of England. And, uh, you know, one of the striking things to come out of that report was the police, Greater Manchester Police, were saying um, that we've learned our lessons, this won't happen again. Well, a whistleblower has now come forward and uh, Maggie Oliver, the former detective who was involved in the Rochdale um, uh, scandal and who resigned from the force in disgust, she was on with Sonia Poulton this morning. It's a brilliant interview. I'd encourage anyone to listen back mm -hmm. to that. Um, and she was saying, you know, it, the police are effectively lying because this whistleblower has come forward uh, that we're calling her Lucy she's gone public today with her story with an, an anonymous uh, pseudonym um, and she's saying that she was tasked with uh, working for Greater Manchester Police in 2022 in child protection and she says that there were huge systemic failures that have led to another paedophile ring being able to operate with impunity and some of the worst abuse that the force has ever seen for seven years it went undetected and she says she picked up a case from 2018 2018 mm -hmm. um and she said that that they they closed part of the inquiry they hadn't looked at children's medical records or school records different children were coming forward with allegations with the same suspects that wasn't followed up she said the system's not fit for purpose it's doing children in the greater manchester area more harm than good and uh, she's res she resigned in disgust at the end of last year and she also made a formal complaint when she resigned and said the force hasn't got enough staff on child protection. She said, what we're looking at is, is a failure of the police to look at the wider picture. And she says she was almost prevented, just like Maggie Oliver was all those years ago with Rochdale. She was prevented from looking at cases in a wider context. She was prevented from interviewing lots of different children. She was only given two or three at a time. She says, what we're looking at is a massive paedophile ring right across the area. Nothing has changed. And she doesn't think that anything will. She says other staff at the force feel much the same. People are in tears a lot of the time because they can't help the kids. And yet only last week, this same police force in regard to the Rochdale inquiry said we've learned our lessons and this won't happen again well she's come forward this very brave person she's using anonymity I don't blame her at this stage she may come forward fully in a few weeks we don't know but she says that's a complete lie nothing has changed kids are being harmed it's worse than ever and this problem isn't going away so you know where are we in society where paedophile gangs are allowed to act with impunity, where children's complaints still aren't being listened to after the horrors of Rochdale? We now have another paedophile gang that's been rampant for seven years, or probably more, Rick, if you, uh, if you think about that logically. It's probably been going on for a lot longer than that. But this woman's very brave. She's standing up to the system. That's what we all need to do now. And my hat is off to her. You know what, uh, listening to you talking there, listening to the details of that story, um, sounds extremely fishy and I'll let me explain what I, I mean by that. I know mistakes happen. Everyone's human. Errors can be made. You know, doctors can make errors. You know, surgeons can slip with a knife. Somebody could die in the operating theater. Uh, a pilot could make an error of judgment, could crash a plane. You know, you and I make mistakes in everyday life. Mistakes happen. However, when you talk about child abuse and you talk about uh, specific units that are set up within police forces to combat child abuse, child exploitation, uh, grooming gangs and one thing and another, and systemic failures going on for periods of years that allow these paedophile rings to continue to work. I'm, I don't think there's no way that can be attributed to someone slipped up, someone dropped the ball, someone let something slip through the net. No, uh, something stinks about this one. That's what I mean about uh, something fishy. Something stinks 
thinks about this, that when a whistleblower and a police force can come forward and highlight abuse and the abuse is allowed to continue for years, uh, you know, against the backdrop of a professional unit set up within the police, something stinks about this one, Gemma. Uh, you know, uh, something stinks about this one. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I thought when I, I read her words and her allegations. You're thinking, OK, where how far does this go? How far up the food chain does this go? When we hear the word paedophile ring, you ask yourself who is involved in, mm -hmm. in a paedophile ring. And, you know, I am not going to start getting into the nitty gritty or allegations of who is and who isn't from what organizations. But it does seem rather strange that you have a force that's saying it's learned its lessons uh, from the Rochdale grooming gang uh, and the rape of many, many children um, to, to then clamp down on another investigation into what is effectively looking like maybe it could even be worse if that's possible. Um, you have to ask who's involved and on what level for this conspiracy. And it is a conspiracy of silence uh, and stopping somebody and also stopping somebody doing their job with which, you know, in most organizations is encouraged. Uh, it doesn't seem that way with the police. Uh, the police, to be balanced with this, they have come out uh, against the allegations. They say that they're sorry that this former detective feels this way. They're aware mm. of her formal complaint when she left, and she did have an exit interview when she left where she said, you haven't got enough staff allocated to child protection. You have to ask yourself why that is. Uh, but the mm. force uh, said, uh, yeah, we, we, we take on board what she said. We have allocated more staff now. Well, how many? One? Two, you know, they haven't gone into specifics. You know, you could argue you need hundreds for a unit like that. Um, and they've said that the children that she 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 was uh, investigating have been subject to reviews. Reviews, that's what they say, and they are now being safeguarded. Well, shame they weren't being safeguarded when she when she investigated the case, mm -hmm. isn't it? Uh, which went back to 2018. And, and the questions of why the case was closed and why children's medical records and school reports weren't looked at, they didn't address that at all. They didn't go there. You know what, and as a, as a victim, and there's so many victims uh, to these uh, grooming gangs, it must really uh, be salt in their wounds to know that they've been failed, not only by, you know, their social services, maybe by their families in some cases who have, you know, known about this and done nothing about it, but by the police as well, whose job it is to protect kids and to prosecute people that are guilty of these crimes and for whistleblowers to be ignored over this too. As a survivor of abuse, imagine uh, you're listening to that this morning. It's like having salt uh, rubbed in and already very, very deep and very, very painful wound. And of course, we know Gemma as well, uh, you know, we don't know the, the, the exact reason why that this hasn't been brought, but something stinks about this. Uh, when you think about how high up these allegations go in society, you have the like of Prince Andrew. Uh, he's a very sketchy individual indeed with his uh, links with uh, Gillian Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. And also when you think about Prince Charles, who was best friends or King Charles, as he likes to be known now, best friends. And I mean, best, best friends with Jimmy Savile, the most rampant, disgusting, loathsome, foul, decrepit pedophile that we know about in British history. You have to ask yourself a question, who is being protected here? It's certainly not the kids. Someone's being protected, Gemma, but it's not the kids. No, it's not. And obviously, I think as well, just kudos to the whistleblower because she's come forward. I think that, you know, if you if you were to talk to people who maybe used to work for that force or other police forces, because don't think this is just confined to one force. I very much doubt that. Um, you know, how much of this has been hidden for decades and decades and, you know, going right back and victims that will now be dead because no one had the courage to come forward. No one had the courage to challenge the system, to stand up to the beast. As we know, the tide is turning in society. That's been the great gift of the last four years. 
years and it is four years now, March 2020, since the whole world went collectively mad. But that collective madness woke a lot of people up and gave people the courage to stand up to the system. And that's what this woman has done. And she's speaking out and, and more of that it needs to happen so that we can change society for the better. Yeah, respect to her and uh, let's hope justice is done. We can, but remain hopeful. So big thanks to you, Gemma, for bringing that story to us this morning. Uh, we'll talk again tomorrow morning on the Open Line Show. In the meantime, we've got to take a break right now uh, before we welcome Kit Clarenberg to Locked and Loaded for the first time. So please stay tuned for more here on TNT, today's news talk. TNT's Bruce de Torres. The Who's proposed treaty will increase man-made pandemics by Merrill Nass. Just a minute about this. This report is designed to help readers think about some big topics. How to really prevent pandemics and biological warfare. How to assess proposals by the WHO and its members for responding to pandemics. And whether we can rely on our health officials to navigate these areas in ways that make sense and will help their population. populations. We start with the history of biological arms control and rapidly move to the COVID pandemic, eventually arriving at plans to protect the future. She didn't put protect in quotes, but I just did verbally. World Stage and Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez, and normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. Top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, I'm joined now by uh, Kit Klarenberg. He's based in Belgrade in Serbia. Kit is an investigative journalist. Uh, he's a writer. He explores the role of intelligence services in shaping politics and perceptions. And you can find some of his published work on The Grey Zone at thegreyzone.com. Kit, welcome to TNT. I notice, I don't think you even realize you're doing this, but you're wearing regulation locked and loaded black t-shirt uh, on the show. Absolutely. Natalie and I black all the time. <laughs> what is it with this show? We attract people that wear black clothes. Why do you think that is? 
Um, I mean, I think that we just have very, very, very dark souls, uh, warm hearts, but dark souls. I mean, there's a fundamental difference there, I think. But. <laughs> I think you are. Yeah, I think you're right. But looking good anyway, and appreciate you uh, taking the time out to join us here this morning. Want to look pleasure. at a couple of things. Want to look at a couple of things with you uh, in the time that we have here, Kit. Uh, there was a post that was put up a few days ago in the Iran Observer. Uh, they put a breaking news story up to say, in an unprecedented move, Iraq has refused the entry of additional U.S. forces into its territory. The start of negotiations to remove U.S. forces are imminent, say an Iraqi army spokesperson. And your take on this was this is going to inspire copycat actions the world over. Mark my words. Is the, the worm turning, as it were? Uh, America is certainly fading in its position as the dominant world superpower. The American dollars in tatters. Confidence in the American administration is in tatters. It's a clown show over there. Is this translating into people, how would you say, stepping up uh, to the old uh, world bully and say, you know what, thus far, no further. We're not tolerating you anymore. Could Iraq be uh, the first the domino uh, to cause a cascade of falling right around the world? Well, I mean, that's a rather a beautiful way of putting it. Um, but I mean, I think that actually this is not entirely without precedent because the Iraqi parliament has numerous times since 2009, which was when about, uh, the, the Obama administration started formally withdrawing U.S. forces from Iraq has voted for, uh, to remove all U.S. forces from the country, and they've just ignored um, the democratic will of, of Iraq's elected parliament that they expended lots of blood and treasure um, uh, constructing in the name of democracy and freedom and sovereignty um, and non-dictatorship. So, I mean, I think that the, the, the domino effect here is that the U.S. has a thousand military installations across the world. Um, they act, um, U.S. soldiers and U.S. intelligence personnel who are also posted to these sites act with total impunity. They are effectively immune from local laws and they, they behave accordingly. Um, uh, in many cases, particularly funnily enough, in, uh, in free democratic Europe, the, um, local populations are unaware of the sheer extent of US military occupation of their countries. Um, in the UK, for instance, there are tens of thousands of, of U U US forces posted all over the country. Um, this is never discussed. Uh, most people don't know this. Um, and then it occasionally leaks out. So, for instance, there have been two um, instances in recent years of when um, US uh, intelligence personnel, i.e. CIA people, posted to the UK, ended up driving on the wrong side of the road um, and then um, injuring or even killing pedestrians. And it kind of leaks out very briefly, but there's no real uh, discussion or consideration of what this means or let alone why are these people there? What are they doing? So um, I think that in, across the global south, where they are under heavy US uh, foreign occupation, it's a lot more apparent to the local populations. And I think that to a large extent, people don't know that they can refuse, they can resist. Uh, the, the, it's not axiomatic, it's not um, um, invincible, the notion that the US is going to, you know, yes, like heavily occupy, occupy their countries. And I think that Iraq doing this um, heralds a very, very different tomorrow in terms of the way that these forces are viewed. So to give you an example, in Germany, uh, it, it, Germany is under heavy US occupation. Um, I, I have driven around Germany extensively. Frequently, you will see what look like towns and cities in the distance um, um, dotted around the hills. They're US military bases. Um, and it, it, even during the Cold War, when Germany was the literal front line of any potential future 
clash with the Soviet Union due to the, the Red Army being posted all over East, Central and Eastern Europe, there was never majority support for the for the Americans being in West Germany. In fact, there was significant public opposition to their presence there. Donald Trump removed towards the end of his presidency U.S. forces or started removing U.S. forces from Germany. This was applauded by wide sections of the public. Biden reversed this. Despite the fact that the Germans didn't want it, they had that they had no, no no choice. It seems, but to accept it. Iraq has shown that you can resist. Uh, the thing is, too. I mean, it must be uh, it must be difficult when you think about the legacy uh, between America and Iraq. You know, with the Iraqi invasion that was uh, based upon lies. You know, Tony Blair banging on about weapons of mass destruction, the invasion of Iraq that occurred, you know, over a million conservative estimates, uh, innocent Iraqis were killed. I can remember an interview with Madeleine Albright when she was asked, uh, was it worth the price? There was potentially half a million Iraqi kids killed and to, to, to topple Saddam Hussein, she famously said, yes. She looked at the camera with that ice cold star and said, yes, I think it was worth the price. You don't forget about stuff like that very quickly. I would imagine Kit and I would think it would be a, uh, only too happy for many Iraqis to see occupying forces, in their opinion, being removed from their country, given that uh, the history, which doesn't go back too far now, uh, must be pretty painful for many, many Iraqis that are still affected by the results of those lies and that invasion that happened, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the West has very, very short memories. Um, I mean, I mean, it, it, the events from mere months ago are very rapidly uh, forgotten or memory hold, as it were. For people living on the receiving end of this, it's a daily reality. You know, I'm. I mean, the, the, the country where I'm speaking to you from now, Serbia, it was bombed into the Stone Age by NATO, 20, nearly yeah. coming up to the 25th anniversary. Um, there's still unexploded ordnance littering the country. Um, the, 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 uh, sorry, environmental destruction that was caused by NATO deliberately bombing chemical plants um, remains very much very much a thing. It has the highest cancer rates in the world, almost. I mean, it, by far the highest in Europe because they use depleted uranium. Uh, there are still bombed out buildings in the center. Um, you know, there are uh, monuments to children who were killed in, in, in the bombing. This is a daily reality for, for residents of Serbia. Meanwhile, um, uh, sorry, Operation Allied Force, as it was called at the time, is hailed in the West today as a successful humanitarian intervention that was that was conducted on moral grounds. Um, the, the, the fact that it was also based entirely on lies and propaganda um, is completely forgotten, even though it is a matter of incontestable record. Now, in Iraq, you actually, um, you know, contrary to the um, mainstream portrayal of Arabs as rather backwards and stupid, um, Iraq had very high standards of education under um, under Saddam Hussein, and it also had a history of, of anti-imperial resistance. So, um, you know, people people are not unwise as to the actual reasons that their country was invaded and destroyed by the Americans. Um, what's quite interesting is I think that we are into the a kind of the emperor's new clothes phase of empire now, where um, America's ability to exert force is drastically limited or curtailed. Yeah. Um, it, it, they, their, their ability to act unilaterally basically doesn't exist anymore. And the US way of dealing with, they're effectively on the run everywhere, but the, the, what the US way of dealing with this is just to pretend it's not happening. So in Iraq, for many months, there have been attacks on US military installations. There have been mass protests against US, the US presence there. And this has got zero media coverage. It's not been acknowledged. There, there was a press conference towards the end of last year where 
I believe it was Lloyd Austin, uh, was uh, the Pentagon spokesperson, was asked, why have we not done anything about these attacks on military installations? And he just gave some some non non committal answer to the effect of oh well I can't give you anything on that because yes that their their strategy is to just ignore this but it is a looming catastrophe and I think I mean we see this with Yemen where the 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 U S has for months been condemning um, uh, uh, Ansharala or as they're derisively known the Houthi blockade of the Red Sea and threatening Yemen with military military action and they haven't blinked. And then, see, I mean, like usually, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, actually, uh, moving on, the Yemen, uh, we've got to take a really quick uh, uh, headline break here just for 30 seconds. When we come back, uh, that's seeking in perfectly to what I wanted to talk to you also about, which is uh, the constant evolution of what's happening in the Red Sea with Yemen and the history of Yemen, which has been largely overlooked and not reported on by the Western mainstream media. Maybe a little bit of attention is starting to be shown in that region unfortunately for the wrong re the reasons at the moment but uh please bear with us we'll be back after the short news break here on tnt today's news talk with more hey hey what are you guys doing uh we're breaking news oh okay carry on tnt radio news matt boyland here with a quick look at your tnt headlines the UN has condemned Ukraine for shelling a busy market in Russia's Donetsk People's Republic, killing 27 civilians. Donald Trump is one step closer to securing the Republican presidential nomination after yet another one of his rivals dropped out of the race. And Britain's Royal Navy has been left red-faced after video went viral showing two of its warships colliding in the Middle East. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's News Talk. This is TNT Radio. Okay, I'm in conversation with Kit Klarenberg, beaming in from Belgrade in Serbia. I believe he's the first uh, Serbian guest or Serbian located guest that I've had here on the show. Uh, in case I forget to do so, you can follow him on the X or Twitter platform at Kit Klarenberg, K-L-A-R-E-N-B-E-R-G. And also he has a Substack page where he puts down all his writings and research, uh, kitklarenberg.substack.com. Kit, something else just before the show started, you said you're really focusing on at the minute was uh, what's going on in Yemen. But of course, there's been stuff going on in Yemen for a very, very long time. It's just been conveniently brushed under the carpet, the genocide that's been happening over there for quite some time now, famine, uh, horrendous attacks. But the Red Sea has uh, highlighted what's going on there with, uh, you know, people having to divert shipping containers around the Cape or the Horn of Africa, it's causing uh, expense to people. And, you know, when Westerners are paying more for their goods, they tend to get interested in things rather than humanitarian crisis that's happening with the Yemenis. What's, what's the state of play in Yemen at the moment? Yeah, sure. So, I'm, I mean, t we need to go back about probably more than 10 years at this point. But, I mean, Yemen was has for, for decades been uh, a resistor to, to imperial um, rule. It was part of the British Empire. Uh, there is a, a famous, um, I think, it's, is it Lewis Carroll, who said, take me somewhere east of Suez, 
um, which re refers to Aden, and this was this was the, the where a, a huge U.S. military base, what, sorry, a U U.K. and and U.S. military base was posted for many decades. They kicked the British out um, in the 1960s, and ever since then there have been attempts by Saudi Arabia and the U.S. and Britain to maintain puppet rule there. Um, this changed about a decade ago, where Ansharala, which is a political movement, but also like a, a, you know, a militant group. Um, seized power in, in, in about half the country. This precipitated a almost decade long, um, genocidal bombing campaign by a Saudi led, uh, coalition. Um, they were supplied and armed by the US and Britain and they, 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 they were carrying out a genocide. They were deliberately bombing, um, markets and funerals and weddings and, uh, uh people attending mosques. Uh, uh they, they targeted fishing vessels to d destroy sources of food for a very long time. The overwhelming majority of the population was you know one missed meal away from from total uh, starvation and destruction uh it was horrendous last year china managed to broker a peace between saudi and iran sorry saudi arabia and iran which brought hostilities to a close so ever since then again about half the country has been ruled by um Ansharala or, or the houthis um they consider themselves as part of a regional axis of resistance along with lebanon and syria and iran and they are committed to uh, uh, ending the genocide in Gaza by blocking the passage of ships through the Red Sea, which is a vital uh, artery for global trade. Um, this forces uh, major shipping um, for um, logistics firms to reroute uh, across Africa and other um, and, and, and other uh, routes, which um, drive up prices, which is hugely disruptive. Um, the U.S. has been threatening them with military action. It has attempted to launch uh, 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 various coalitions to end this. There, it was something they had a, a plan called Prosperity Guardian, in which the U.S. and, and six or seven other countries would uh, go to the Red Sea to take out um, uh, uh, Ansarallah. Uh, this collapsed before it even started. Um, Yemen is fighting a, a almost a, a guerrilla air war by using very cheap. Uh, to, to produce drones to block and harass shipping. Uh, the US then spends millions shooting them down with missiles. So, I mean, it, it, in many ways, they have scored uh, flawless victory after flawless victory without really firing a shot because the US has been forced to continually uh, change tactics in an effort to stop them and hasn't been able to. There was a, a, re a really remarkable exchange between a, a journalist and Joe Biden a few days ago where he was asked whether the, the bombing campaign that was launched by Britain and the US a couple of weeks ago against Yemen was successful. And he said, no, it isn't, but it's going to continue. So they're rather in a, they're rather stuck now. There is talk of a wider operation, um, uh, whether that means ground troops and occupation, we don't know. Uh, the US has stated that they want to take concerted action of some kind, but they don't want it to last as long as the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, I mean, the, the, the Yemenis um, withstood 10 years or, or, or thereabouts of a genocidal bombing. Um, you know, they have nothing to lose. They have all the time in the world. They're not going to back down. You can find videos online of Ansharala meetings that get bombed by the South, by, by the Saudis. Um, people there barely flinch and they just carry on as normal. And I think that's very much going to be their approach in, in response to whatever the US does next. Um, you know, they're, they're, I, I joked a few weeks ago that the US has had its Suez moment. 
without even invading the Suez Canal. I mean, this is the, the death of the, the British Empire in the 1950s. Um, the, it, it occurred there. Um, uh, we may well be seeing a rerun of this very soon with the US empire. Uh, tell me this, uh, we've only got maybe a minute left, so really, really briefly, yeah. okay, and uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get talking to you again at some point sooner rather than later, because there's so much going on in the Middle East, Kit, uh, and I think people's attention is being drawn into it at the moment. It's been just over 100 days since the October the 7th uh, Hamas attack on Israel and the subsequent uh, retaliatory attacks on uh, Gaza, the genocide that's going on there, all hell's breaking loose in the Middle East. Now we'll have Yemen involved, we'll have Iran, we have Iraq, we have Syria, America, we have Chinese warships coming up there. Very, very briefly, the next 100 days, I think, uh, personally speaking, I can't see this getting any better over the next 100 days. How much worse could it get in the next uh, 30, 30 seconds? How much worse could this get? Well, um, yeah, I mean, as I say, we may be looking at a graveyard of empires here. I mean, the the the, uh, the axis of resistance has created an escalatory um, uh, conveyor belt, as it were, where any attempt to prevent them stopping the Israeli genocide will be met with force, and then the tension will be ratcheted up. Both the U.S. and 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 Britain and its its their proxy client Israel are painted into a corner. Don't be surprised if you're surprised by what happens next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anything's possible in this crazy uh, clown world in which we live. Uh, nothing surprises me, I'm sure. Nothing surprises you either, but we'll stay in touch and we'll certainly keep uh, this uh, subject under review going through 2024. That's Kit Clarenberg. Follow him at Kit Clarenberg on Twitter and also uh, his Substack page, kitclarenberg.substack.com. Big salute to you and I hope you have a great day over in Belgrade in Serbia, not Syria, Serbia. I've got to take a brief uh, ad break right now and then I'll be back with Dominic Ryder, going to be talking UK politics. So please stay tuned for more here on the one and only TNT, today's news talk. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids, and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March, and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador. So I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my license, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying, by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. To learn more, visit nature.org today. This is Locked and Loaded with Rick Munn on TNT. 
Okay, and uh, more new blood uh, coursing through TNT's veins here this morning. I'm very happy to be joined here on Locked and Loaded for the first time by Dominic Ryder. Dominic is the founder of The Other Party uh, in the UK. You can check them out on the X platform at The Other Party UK. And let me just quote what it says here on the blurb. The time where politicians could be trusted to reliably represent the interests of the public is gone. If you want something done properly, do it yourself. Uh, what spurred this uh, attitude of yours? Surely it can't be despondency uh, with the state of affairs of British politics at the minute, or am I just being cynical here, Dominic? What do you say? Oh, God, heaven forbid. It's it's perfect over here, isn't it? But yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks for having me. Uh, I mean, welcome. It's a culmination, to be fair. You know, there's no one one thing that sparked it. I'd say that the current uh, the current atmosphere in the political system, especially in response to just. Uh, Israel-Gaza conflict, it was probably the uh, turning point in terms of like, well, not turning point, but final straw, just the simple vote of, you know, should people stop blowing each other to smithereens or or should they continue uh, and 70% voting, yeah, carry on, uh, just keep murdering each other. And, you know, it wasn't even a one side favoured over one other side, just literally just voting for people to stop killing each other and 70% said, no, they should carry on. So I think that sort of, uh, you know, is the antithesis of, you know, progress, really. Uh, we need to have actual represented uh, in individuals who represent us, who fulfill the will of the people, because the job role as defined, and you, if you literally look on the .gov website, is to represent the will of their constituents. And if anything at all, they are now working to do the exact opposite, and they operate with absolute impunity. Uh, they evidently have no fear of the public um, because the public never hold them to account anymore. And it's just a culmination of why would anyone want to get involved in politics? Like I certainly didn't and I certainly don't. I just don't know if I have, you know, one year until the this election, less than, and then another four years, do I reliably believe that we will have five years left at the current state of decay? No. I just can't be sure of that. So someone's got to be the first. And if that has to be me, then it has to be me. Yeah, the, the trajectory that we are on at the minute and the velocity of which we're moving, uh, I don't think Britain can sustain Ireland as well. I mean, like we're in exactly the same position over here. We can't sustain what's happening at the minute. Uh, financially, things are just in a dire situation. Uh, borders being open, infrastructure's not there, uh, uh, mental health crisis, NHS crisis, one thing after another. And the people that are supposed to be governing the country uh, are running it into the ground. And I think a lot of this, there's a lot of despondency out there. And I'm going to, I'm just going to throw this one out here. Uh, to you because I feel a little bit the same way as you do here. The current big parties, they're 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 just two cheeks of the same ass, two wings of the same bird. It doesn't matter if Keir Starmer gets in, it doesn't matter if Rishi Sunak wins the next election, they're driving the country into the ground. The smaller parties, the independent parties, don't seem to be in with a look-in, at least 
at a cursory glance here, or other people are just so hacked off with politics, they don't even vote anymore. We had a chap on from Wales earlier on. He said the current turnout uh, at the polling booths in Wales is about 44%. So mathematically, if my maths is right, 56% of people don't even go and vote in the first place. If there are independent candidates or somebody like you pops up on the you know the voting papers, like, who is this guy? I don't know enough about him. I, I'm just going to revert back to what I know best, which is red or blue. Mm. How the hell do we break this uh impasse that we have with uh, the big parties continually getting into power, Dominic. Yeah, I mean, the the apathy of like the general public towards the situation we're in just seems to know no bounds. Um, you know, I always think if you told somebody five years ago, sort of everything that would happen in the next five years and that nobody would even like burn a bin or like barely even a protest or, or just a sniff and just tolerance i mean i think uh, i saw a stat that testosterone has dropped by one percent on average year on year every year since the 1980s and you can tell you know no one has any aggression anymore everyone just sits back and just allows everything just constant roll over i also blame the tea that we drink in the uk it's got to be something to do with that because uh we just seem to just take it and take it and take it at least the french have a certain level of uh aggression um to yeah. it but in terms of a direct democracy you know a lot of people uh the first thing that they say in terms of like an objection to it is well the people are stupid um look at xyz you know usually they'll say uh brexit if they were remain or that's a good example in the fact that it doesn't really matter where you you vote on it but anybody who voted leave will be 100% still behind leave. Anyone that voted Remain will be 100% still behind Remain. And that's because you couldn't possibly have another vote because it would be an embarrassment to the Conservatives. Um, but with a direct democracy, you actually have to suffer the actions of your mistakes. And you have to suffer. And in turn, successes, you suffer as well, which means that you don't have this ideological view of I am right no matter what, and I can't even concede if I'm wrong. When you actually have to take responsibility for your own actions, you have to buy into the political process because since it is so polarizing and toxic, it works to push people out. You know, let's say, for example, there's one policy on uh, the Labour or Conservative manifesto that you don't agree with. That is enough for a lot of people to say, well, I can't support the party entirely just because of one policy on it. They might believe of everything else, but if it has one thing, then they can back out of the political process entirely. With a direct democracy, if you do that, you are only making your opposing ideology louder. So when more policies pass that you don't like, who's to blame? It's you, because if you didn't step up to get involved to counter that opinion. So a lot of people think that um, a direct democracy I'm uh, advocating for is going to solve everything from the get-go, which it certainly isn't. It is slow, painful moral arbitrage, where if you do not get involved and you do not start voting and things pass that you don't like, well, guess what? Get involved. There's no more pushing people out. It drags people in. It drags people in due to the fact that we will make mistakes. But rather than those mistakes leading to this despondency, you have no option if you do not like it step up and do something about it turn up with the current political process it encourages you to not turn up so that they can carry on with their um 
just agenda, which isn't what they're supposed to be doing and what they're delivering to the people. So it won't be right every time, but at least we are pulling people in by making mistakes, not pushing them out. And, and you know, uh, proactive, being proactive is key. You talked about a lack of aggression here in the UK people, for example, compared to the French. And whilst we're not advocating violence here, destruction of public property or one thing and another, people are reaching, I think, breaking points, especially in Ireland. Uh, I can speak uh, pretty authoritatively on what's going on in Ireland here at the minute. Uh, people are taking to the streets en masse in multiple locations, uh, blocking for example, uh, migrant processing facilities or accommodation, burning it to the ground in some cases, allegedly. Uh, not happy at all. And these aren't, uh, you know, rebel paramilitary groups. These are local people, men, women and children who are just sick to the back teeth of what's going on at the minute. You think back to the 80s, you think about the problem of the poll tax. That was pretty much rectified, although it came back in another guise. But at least initially, people took to the streets and within three days, that problem is over. Are we too internet centred at the minute? Do you think that could be one of our problems? People think that sending out messages on Twitter or X or posting a blog up on a Substack page is going to right the wrongs. It'll certainly make people aware of problems, but we need boots on the ground, do we not? Uh, we need people to get out and make actual changes in the real world instead of pontificating about it online, don't we? Absolutely. I mean, this is why I set up the other party, um, because, uh, you know, by... Being vocal on Twitter, on social media, it's the perfect outlet for everyone. The problem is, is that everybody has a political opinion, but almost 90% of them aren't actually willing to uh, stand up or go to the streets and voice it. Uh, it's so easy for people to have a political opinion, especially because everybody loves a debate and loves a little argument. But when it actually comes down to doing something, nowhere to be seen. Um, you know, I find it uh, a lot even with... Um, because. The other party is built uh, using blockchain technology. And so people automatically think blockchain, they think cryptocurrencies, but they're completely different uh, things. Um, as in blockchain is a decentralized data storage. And the reason it's brilliant for governance and for voting is that once something is on the decentralized blockchain, it cannot be edited, it cannot be falsified, and it is there forever. So literally all of the arguments of postal ballots and all of the arguments that you had of like ballot stuffing in in the us um election if that was on the blockchain you couldn't have any of them it removes the ability to have any fraud once it's on there obviously you know people can still try and game it by like uh you know using somebody else's like id and trying to like falsify it but you know we're not there to try and uh we need to build a system that's better than the current one it doesn't have to be perfect. That's the thing with all of this. Everybody wants to try and uh, pick as many holes as possible. But in reality, we're trying to build a better system. You know, we can't pander to every single, you know, tiny circumstance that someone could yeah. try and manipulate it. You know what? I, I, I've i been doing this, you know, this TNT thing now since the station started, which was around about two years ago. And in the last, I would say, six months, six to eight months, I have not encountered as many people uh, who have been moved like yourself 
to actually try and be proactive in politically. And I know a lot. There's a lot of people are so despondent about politics, saying that you know it's it's you're not elected. You know you're selected. Uh, spoil your ballot vote. Vote. Don't vote. And I'm not saying that, that the political system at the minute is completely corrupt and it's completely shambolic. But there has to be alternative solutions proposed, which is what you're doing here today, which is why I'm very, very happy to talk to you. I had another guest on, uh, David Thunder, who's like a political uh, philosopher. He said, for this to really happen, we need a surge in independent type candidates, probably with no political background or political baggage at all, who are just simply wanting to make a change for the better for people in their local areas and communities and for the country at large. Would you agree that that's what we need to make a change for the better for people in their local areas and communities and for the country at large. Would you agree that that's what we need? Almost a sweeping clean of the plate, because let's be honest, Dominic, if, uh, you know, there's probably going to be an election this year in the UK. And, you know, unless something crazy happens, you know, Labour are most likely to get in. If this doesn't crack by five years from now, would it be our last ditch attempt to get an independent style government in place? Or uh, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I just can't be certain. And the reason why I'm doing it now is that, yeah, you know, five years time, you know, since, uh, since 2020 or 2021, 2022, uh, we've had what, two wars, and they're absolutely dying to get us into one with China to defend Taiwan, which the UK, the EU and the US don't even recognize diplomatically. So why would we send a military to defend it? Makes no sense, probably because of the semiconductors and chips that they produce um yeah. but yeah i mean we just don't know whether we have that time anymore uh and the problem is i mean when you say they're not uh, elected they're selected i mean that's true to the point that not a lot of people know how labor and conservative actual uh constituents work you know donald trump for example he could run under the republican party uh that can't happen um, in the UK, you cannot just randomly say, I'm going to run under Labour, I'm going to run under the Conservatives. They have selection committees where you have to uh, get approved in order to stand in a constituency. So that by itself, why would they ever select anybody with an opposing ideology who can think for themselves? Why would they ever risk somebody not towing the party line? Ever. Mm. It doesn't make any sense for them to ever select anyone who thinks differently and doesn't toe the party line. Therefore, voting for Conservatives or Labour, you are voting for somebody who will always have allegiance to the party before the public. Always. They have no incentive to allow any opposing voices in because those op opposing voices are a challenge to them. They just want this uniform. And so with a direct democracy, you know, like I say, we're not going to be perfect, but the people actually have the power to implement their own policies. And you have trillions of dollars like worldwide, which is spent on lobbying, bribery, corruption. A lot of people think that that's going to stop with a direct democracy because the people are going to be in charge. It's not. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because those corporations are spending that money to gain political influence and to try and pass their policies. They're going to still want all of that done. But if you remove the power from 250 individuals, that is a filter for trillions of lobbying, of uh, co like corruption. All of that money is still going to be spent. 
but you change who are the people in charge of the policies and you make it the public and they have to spend that money on the people because mm -hmm. you can't just whitewash, greenwash, whatever you like, and uh, you know pretend to be doing the public's like view. In the reality, they're getting the backhand from the corporations and getting the real policies passed in silence. But corporations, all of this environmental social governance, they actually have to be held accountable by the people because the people were deciding on policies. Politicians are the perfect way out. They are the perfect centralized point of failure, which allows for all of these corrupt institutions to go around the public because they don't need them. The public's view does not matter. Right now, in the current system, they can get the real policies pushed through 250 individuals who are supposed to elect um, and, you know, put the views of the public. But they don't have to. There's nothing in legally obliging them to do that. So with the other party, we're going to make it a legal requirement for the MP to actually vote yes or no based on what their constituency votes. You know, uh, there's uh, there's so many good points that you've raised here in the short time that we've had here this morning. Uh, we don't have any time to go into any more detail as per right now, but I just want to direct people your way again, Dominic. Uh, you can follow Dominic on the X platform. Uh, uh, more importantly, uh, you can also follow, well, not more importantly, but you can follow Dominic at Dominic VEMP on Twitter or X, but check out the other party. They actually have a website as well where you can get more information about what Dominic's talking about here this morning it's otherparty.co.uk so check out the website otherparty.co.uk and also they have their own twitter or x page at the other party uk dominic time has flown by uh, uh we're up to time here as per right now we've got to get off our right now so I just want to say a big thank you to you for taking time out of your day this morning to come on here and talk to us about what you're about that's dominic Ryder. i'm rick bunn uh james freeman is coming on after the news headlines here at the top of the hour i'll be back in the morning at 9 a.m sharp with natalie on open line so please stay tuned for more here today on today's news talk tnt